0: From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. Ahmed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. Joining us today is Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee and a former Rhode Island Attorney General. We'll talk about the newly passed Inflation Reduction Act and its impact on climate change, his take on the raid on Mar-a-Lago, and whether he thinks Joe Biden should run again. That's after this quick break. Welcome back. We're here with Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. Thank you for joining us, Senator. Good to be with you, Ed. The Inflation Reduction Act passed last week. You voted for it. Will it really make a difference with climate change?
1: It will. There's a lot left to be done, but I'm excited about it because it's the first time since I've been in the Senate that we've had a real win on climate. It has been nonstop frustration. And this time, we've got a bill that will actually begin to reduce emissions in a measurable way. We're a long way from where we need to be, but getting a win is good.
0: What is this bill going to do that hasn't passed the Congress in past years?
1: Well, there are four things that I would direct attention to. One is that we lock in the clean energy tax credits that we always quarrel over at the end of the year. We got the methane fee in there so that there will be a penalty paid for methane leakage. It's no longer free to leak and pollute methane, and that's going to be a big deal. I was the lead Democrat on what was called the 45Q provision, which allows for investments in carbon capture. We are going to blow through our 1.5-degree safety zone. There's just no denying that. Once you've blown through the 1.5 degree safety zone, going to zero emissions doesn't help any longer. You're still in the danger zone. You've got to extract carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases from the atmosphere to get back to safety. So this will develop the technology to enable us uh, to do that. And then the last thing is just a whole battery of supports for homeowners to fix up their houses with new, more efficient appliances and to add rooftop solar out of their houses. So you'll see a lot of families that are able to invest in much more efficient homes. And of course, ideally with a EV car that we've helped finance in the driveway as well.
0: So it sounds like it's heavy on incentives. More uh, carrot than stick?
1: Much more carrot than stick.
0: Would you like to see some more stick in the years ahead?
1: I would love to see some more stick. And they have a very good model in a case that the Department of Justice won in a complete slaughter of a victory over the tobacco industry, when the tobacco industry was lying about the dangers of its product. And they got a court order from the United States District Court in Washington saying, you shall lie no more. And that completely broke the back of the tobacco industry's operation to pretend that smoking was safe and secondhand smoke was fine and all of that. And a similar lawsuit brought against the fossil fuel industry for the way in which they have lied for decades about the danger of their product, I think would be a very powerful stick. And I think they'd win and it would make a big difference in turning off the spigot of lies coming out of the fossil fuel industry. When you got a court order saying thou shalt lie no more.
0: The act passed along strictly party lines, but I'm old enough to remember when Senator McCain pushed for climate change legislation. How did this become such a partisan issue?
1: It wasn't just John McCain running for president on a strong climate platform. It was three separate other bipartisan climate bills. It was bipartisan climate hearings. It was bipartisan climate negotiations. All of that was happening until January of 2010. And in January of 2010, that stopped like a heart attack. And what happened in January of 2010 was Citizens United, the decision that let unlimited money pour into politics and the fossil fuel industry has A, unlimited money, and B, massive political incentive to intervene. And they basically went to the Republican Party with a carrot and a stick and said, we will fund you if you will stop climate litigation and anybody who crosses us, we will crush. So line up, and they lined up, and from that day, there has not been any Republican willing to get on any serious climate
0: bill. The the House Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, who was just here in Rhode Island, tweeted when the bill passed, remember this day when Democrats jammed through a 700-page bill that raises your taxes and doubles the size of the IRS. What's your response to that?
1: I hope people remember this day because it's also the day we broke the back- of the pharmaceutical industry, and for the first time after trying for decades, got the ability to have Medicare negotiate and bring prices down for seniors. We put a $2,000 cap on what people have to pay out of pocket in Medicare, which will really make a difference for a lot of families. And for the first time, we've been talking about already, but this is the first time that we've had a real win in climate.
0: Speaking of Kevin McCarthy, he says the raid on Mar-a-Lago shows that the Department of Justice has reached an intolerable state of weaponized politicization. What's your response?
1: I think the reaction to that raid by the Republican Party shows that it has lost its collective mind. You have the FBI working with the archivist to get documents that Trump conceitedly had. When the negotiations didn't work out, they backstopped them with a subpoena. Then apparently they had an insider say – guys, they're lying to you. They still have more records even with the subpoena. And they took that information to a judge and a federal judge signed off on the warrant after FBI agents testified under oath as to what the need was to go in. And then, sure enough, they found the stuff. The lesson here is don't lie to the FBI when you're involved in an investigation or they will raise the temperature and go to more intrusive measures to get the information that they need.
0: And one of the larger issues there is the increasing level of political violence we're seeing in this country. You know, there was a professor who just did a poll that showed 15 million Americans believed that violence would be justified to return Trump to office. And there was a, a guy outside Justice Kavanaugh's house with a, a gun and a knife, I believe. So wh- where's this going to end?
1: I don't know what the end point is, to tell you the truth. There was a study that showed when they paid people to get off Fox News, Just to see how their views changed, they calmed down quite a lot. If the Fox News propaganda machine looks a little mild for you, you can up to Alex Jones. Alex Jones just got whacked with $49 million in punitive and compensatory damages for lying about the little kids who were murdered at Sandy Hook. So there are ways, I think, to go at that infrastructure, that apparatus of lies and propaganda hard for the government to do it because of First Amendment concerns, but Mm -hmm. courtrooms have done quite well. So I think there may be some corrections coming as cases come through the system that blow up the liars and make them accountable for the harm that they cause when they
0: lie. And speaking of Justice Kavanaugh, you recently questioned FBI Director Christopher Wray about the FBI's investigation into the sexual misconduct allegations that emerged from Kavanaugh's confirmation process. What did you learn?
1: Well, I finally got him to admit publicly in the hearing what we already knew to be the case from documents and interviews that we had done, that when all of the tips about Kavanaugh came in to the FBI through the tip line, none got investigated.
0: How many were there? How many tips?
1: Thousands. Now, some of it is nonsense. You open up a tip line, you're going to get nonsense. But what they did was they screened out the Kavanaugh-related stuff and just sent it over to the White House Uninvestigated, Ray also admitted that uh, the only people they uh, interviewed in that investigation were people that the White House had given them permission to interview. So the idea that this was an independent, complete, by-the-book FBI investigation got blown up uh, during the course of hour-long investigation, and Ray in the hearing had to admit it.
0: Speaking of the Supreme Court, tell us about your proposal for term limits on justices. Have you introduced that bill?
1: Yep, Chairman Johnson on the House side. We have filed the same bill. I've got other senators who are interested in this, so it's not going to be the final thing. We're going to continue to discuss and negotiate to get to an agreement on what the bill should look like. But I think the notion that we should put the court on a regular schedule of re-upping new justices so that it comes regularly and you don't get this weird situation where Garland gets blocked because it's too near an election supposedly, and in the very, you know, next election, suddenly even nearer to an election, Barrett's being shoved through, I think going to a steady period of term limits and a regular replacement of justices will decompress some of the political mischief around the court right now.
0: Yeah, and I hear you'd like to see a new process for Congress to reverse the court's decisions. How would that work?
1: Look at the Dobbs case, the abortion case. If we had this law in place, once the Supreme Court undid this right belonging to American women, we would have an expedited period during which we could respond to that by passing a statutory right that replaced the constitutional right that they undid, and we couldn't be
0: filibustered. So it wouldn't it. require 60 votes. It, Correct. It would, it would just be a simple majority? Yep. Interesting. What are the chances of those bills regarding the Supreme Court? What are the chances they'll pass?
1: Well, I've got an array of measures regarding the Supreme Court, and some are more likely to pass than others. Asking the Supreme Court to follow ethics guidelines like members of Congress do and members of the executive branch do is something that has Republican support. Getting all the way to term limits, uh, not so much. To me, it's really important that we have a conversation about what has gone wrong at the Supreme Court. We cannot turn a blind eye to the capture of the court by special interests, and putting these bills out there has a very salutary effect even before they come into law because they force people to look at what is wrong at the Supreme Court.
0: The Boston Globe and Suffolk University recently did a poll. It found that 68.8% of likely general election voters in Rhode Island do not think President Biden should run for a second term and only 22% think he should run again. What do you think? Are you surprised by those results? Um,
1: yeah, I think it's going to be something to watch as we go through this election. Obviously, Biden's not on the ballot. He doesn't need to make a decision now about... 2024. But I do think that from now through November is a really important period for the Biden administration to set the mark for how they're going to campaign for 2024 and to establish the narrative that this is a guy who's fighting for you and this is a guy who gets things done. And I think they need to operate on both channels if they're going to succeed.
0: So if the Globe Pulse has called you, how would you answer that question? Do you think he should run again?
1: Uh, I'm going to... Duck that question, if you don't mind. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We don't have any candidates yet for 2024, and I'm not picking amongst them.
0: All right. Let me ask you another Globe-Suffolk University poll question. It it showed that Republican Alan Fung is in the lead for the open seat in the second congressional district, and I understand you were his boss when he was in the attorney general's office. How did he do as a special assistant attorney general?
1: He was good. He's a very serious opponent. I think it's likely to be Seth Magaziner who wins the primary. And Seth has his work cut out for him to make sure that he's doing a very good job showing that whatever people might think personally about Alan Fung, that the first thing that he's going to do when he goes down to Washington is to vote for Speaker, now Minority Leader McCarthy. And all of that baggage that's going to come from that choice is going to be something Alan's going to have to defend, including their desire to strip out any abortion right in any state with federal legislation so that women across the country have their rights stripped away from them.
0: Fung is presenting himself as a moderate Republican. He says he's not afraid to talk about the green economy and the blue economy, renewable energy. Do you think he'd be the, a kind of John McCain uh, Republican or would he join the Republican opposition to climate change? Well, it's hard to be
1: a John McCain Republican if you're not in the Senate and if you're not John McCain. Once you're in the House, it's tribal and the leadership make the calls and you really have very little choice but to follow along And when you look at who is leading House Republicans and you look at the Freedom Caucus and you look at the kind of stuff that they're saying, it's just not a normal crowd right now.
0: We've got an interesting race for treasurer, for lieutenant governor, for governor here in Rhode Island. Who are you voting for in those races?
1: I will decide that when I go into the voting booth.
0: All right, Senator Whitehouse, thank you for joining us today.
1: Good to be with you, Ed. Thank you.
0: Here are some more stories to check out this week in Globe, Rhode Island. One-third of Rhode Island is now facing extreme drought, which has increased the risk of fires. I have a story with the details. A Newport fixture closed its doors on Sunday. My colleague Amanda Milkovitz was there for the last day at Bishop's 4th Street Diner. And my colleague Brian Amaral makes ocean swell jelly from Irish sea moss with mixed results. For those stories and more... Go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week.